Hello and welcome back to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get bloody well cracking. And I'm here with with Dave today uh, to catch up. So how are you doing, Dave? It's been a while. I'm all right, Frank. How was Langley, by the way? Was that all right, mate? (laughs) Yeah, not bad. My uh, vacation. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, I know you said whatever, but I I know Virginia, you know, and you were there. Clearly things were getting a bit hard and they had to call you back in. (laughs) Yeah, boots on the ground. Most of what I've been up to the last four months is hanging around in Peru, antagonizing people. That's right. Yeah, I heard the jet jet pack (laughs) went well there, yeah. That's it. Yeah, my jet pack did me absolutely proud, I tell you what. (laughs) Oh, I'm so dear, dear, dear. But yeah, just just to be absolutely clear with everybody, I've not been in Peru or Langley or anywhere else for that matter, but um, we're just having a bit of a laugh and a joke. Um, But yeah, so we're basically going to be continuing with the sort of recap of what's been going on in my absence from podcasting over the last few months. Uh, I did an episode the other day to to mark the return from the hiatus, and there's there's a couple of other quite key things that have happened uh, in that time uh, which i thought i'd wait till you were on dave uh, before we got stuck into a a few of those bits and pieces um so just in case anyone's listening is wondering what dave's been up to have you been up to anything exciting in the last four months not really frank i've just been uh yeah i've just been thinking oh christ i wish i could talk to frank about this but we actually have talked quite a bit haven't we in fairness but yeah I, i just think it's worth reflecting a little bit though on where we are and uh it's a bit of like, what is that quote? It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And it feels a bit like that because in a way, there's not been a lot happening. We've stalled a little bit. We haven't had hearings, we haven't had this, we haven't had that. But there's loads of stuff come out as well. So it feels like quite a weird, it's sort of feast and famine together. So that's a little bit odd. Uh, I think myself, all roads, which we're going to get into, I'm sure, a leading to this UAP disclosure act now, and that feels more significant than ever. And we'll probably get into this as well. Grush sort of said in that thing he did recently, but uh, there's a plan, I think he overshared, there's a plan to set up a review board in February and then some sort of an announcement maybe next year. So my advice to you, Frank, do not make the mushroom pledge in 2024. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'll. I don't think I'll be that ambitious as to make a, a pledge going on any further than the end of this year. But I think I think you know I was I was all right with that one. I think I'm just about in the clear from yeah, that yeah, side I of things. Th- yeah, I think you're all right. Uh, I, I made a pledge uh, just for anybody who's not familiar with what I'm going on about that it was very unlikely that we would see any kind of an official government figure announcing the presence of an NHI on this planet and um, I, I, there was a variation on I'll eat my hat if I see that happening and I don't wear a hat so I said that I was going to eat a mushroom because uh, I'm not a big fan of mushrooms um, a bit of a ridiculous pledge admittedly uh, but there we have it and yeah I, I think I'm pretty much safe I certainly don't think that's going to happen this year despite some rampant speculation within the community uh, over the last four months. But yeah, it's been interesting actually because I think initially when I first uh, went on the the hiatus kind of thing, 
it was like everything was happening, wasn't it? Like literally the day I, <laughs> I announced that, everything all kicked <laughs> off. There's this, you know, the hearing happened pretty shortly afterwards, and and all the rest of it. But um, and then there was like a mass kind of frenzy of of reactions to the things that were happening, and um, the the backlash started to to mount, and the, the pushback uh, against Grush and all the rest of it, and and then like you say, it sort of went into a bit of a a bit of a lull, uh, perhaps, didn't it? I think perhaps yeah. to do with the, the the sort of slowdown in the American political system at that time of year probably had a part to play in that as well. Um, but yeah, it certainly looks as though you know things might be picking up a little bit more again uh, at, at this point in the year. Um, yeah, it was it was weird, but it, when you went off, mind you, might, might be back to the Langley thing. When you went off, it was all kicking off, wasn't it? There you go. Uh, but I mean, I stopped going on down that multi. But yeah, it was. I remember thinking, God, Frank will be annoyed about this. But I mind you. Just it is what it is, isn't it? You know, it's quite good to come back now. I suspect with a bit of a fresh perspective. Certainly, it sounded like that from the show you did the other day. It was quite good in a way. I thought. Yeah, it, it was quite good just to be able to take a step back, and you know, when you're doing an episode every week or you know every every couple of weeks or whatever, you know, you're basically committing your own thoughts to uh, a microphone that that thousands of people are going to listen to. And it's quite refreshing. I've done that for near enough two years. Well, exactly two years, two years and a bit, in fact. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, doing that week in, week out for two years and then all of a sudden having time to not have to publish my thoughts, you know, it, it does kind of give you a little bit of time to just reevaluate certain things and whatnot. And like you said, we've been speaking on, on Signal and we, you know, quite regularly through that time, but, just sort of, I've been kind of keeping you up to date with some of them, yeah, yeah. some of them thoughts and and things like that. But yeah, it was interesting to just to sit back for, with a slightly different angle on things and just be able to watch everything unfold. Uh, you know, it was quite interesting. And as you touched on just now, one of the big things is this um, the sort of UAP disclosure act. So I'll just kind of give a bit of background on what's going on with all of that, and then we can discuss it a bit. Um, so Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is is pretty much kind of leading this this new effort that seeks to establish a commission to declassify United States government documents and other materials related to uh, unidentified anomalous phenomena UAP. And uh, this this new legislation, which is currently being referred to as the Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena Disclosure Act of 2023 um, will provide, quote, the expeditious disclosure of unidentified anomalous phenomena records, unquote. Um, The legislation is basically uh, an amendment to the NDAA. And obviously, for the last few years, we've seen these bits of legislation kind of you know, being drafted, being sort of debated and, and tweaked, and then eventually making it into you know into into law. And a quote from Chuck Schumer is quote: "I'm honoured to carry on the legacy of my mentor and dear friend Harry Reid, and fight for the transparency that the public has long demanded surrounding these unexplained f- phenomena." Unquote, and that's what uh, Schumer had said in in a tweet or a post or whatever they referred to as these days. That's another thing. Since I've been gone, Twitter's completely changed, (laughs) which is weird, isn't it? UFO Twitter that I used to talk about. Now it's UFO X. It's weird to get used to that. But anyway, some of the more kind of um, 
you know standout parts of this is this legislation is is the inclusion that the US federal government will have uh, eminent domain over any and all recovered technologies of of unknown origin and also biological evidence of non-human intelligence that may be basically being controlled by private persons or entities in the interests of the public good and it it very clearly defines UAPs as as being relating to objects which exhibit performance characteristics and properties not previously known to be achievable based on commonly accepted physical principles such as uh, as well as well as other things instantaneous acceleration absent apparent inertia transmedium travel positive lift contrary to known aerodynamic principles and it really specifically separates these from uh, what it classes as temporarily non-attributed objects that have got pr- like prosaic explanations and very interestingly the the term or the terms non-human intelligence and technologies of unknown origin are really clearly laid out uh, as, as what they are defined as um, as opposed to attempt to avoid any wriggle out opportunities and um those terms are also mentioned multiple times throughout the actual word in itself and uh the the amendment also um mentions reverse engineering of technologies of unknown origins and the examination of biological evidence of living or deceased and non-human intelligence so it's all very, very intense um, in terms of the wording. Essentially, the the authors of this amendment are sort of clearly separating UAP from any explainable phenomena that can be, you know, dismissed as as prosaic or whatever. And they're talking about specifically things that defy the laws of physics as we know them, and essentially really trying to hone in on the the non human sort of anomalous side of things. Uh, which is which is very interesting. So, what are your thoughts on on all of that, then, Dave? Quite a lot going on with that, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, it it was it followed on from the IAA Act, really. You know, the one about the Intelligence Authorization Act, which is about the money, and it was this big pivot of putting the onus on people who people to actually come. If they didn't come forward, they were deemed to be guilty, and that's been the big pivot that's been used throughout this. The presumption is if people are keeping secrets, they should come forward really but it was a big surprise chuck sumer as you say announced it and he used this amazing language he said the american public has the right to learn about technologies of unknown origins non-human intelligence and unexplainable phenomena which i think was a bit different to what but i when i heard that i thought this is absolutely amazing but it's quite clear this wouldn't have been agreed without the white house that's the big thing about this clearly it seems now we're hearing that the whistleblower the weight of whistleblower testimony has convinced the white house along with balloon gate that they needed to get a grip on this and it seems they've created this act really as some sort of way that they can try and get a handle on it and try and get this information out in an orderly manner i mean the language in itself is amazing and the technology, you know, the stuff around the technology, it's very hard to get out of it. And I think the other big thing was, as we heard, that this top naval intelligence guy went into, partly, Charpy and uh, Ross Coulter, I believe, and other people, went into the White House and said, look, you're being misled here. There's a big cover-up going on. And so I think the head of staff, Jake Sullivan, that he was the National Security Advisor, he's now the head of the UAP task force himself, 
and he's been pushing this legislation through. Now, when we go on to some other stuff we maybe touch on, this, this, we'll start to see that there's a push from the White House that isn't necessarily reflected in the other areas of government. But for me, this act is a clear attempt to try and streamline things and get to the bottom of stuff. Now, if you actually look at the function of the board, it's got the idea, I think, is again to take away the assessment of what's happening from uh, from these people who are implicated in the cover-up, basically. And uh, so you've got a review board that's nine independent people, like you were saying. And what will happen is the onus is on all the departments, of which NASA's named, all the people are named. They've got to provide the material. It'll go through to the, uh, the archive office. And then eventually this, this panel of people will assess whether it should be classified or not. So the presumption is that it shouldn't be classified unless it's assessed. So, and then the president it will make the decision on what should be released. So it's, a, it's taking away from these other actors the control of classification and putting it in the hounds of polit and a politically accountable body. Now, if you look, I think as well, it's setting up an architecture for a greater disclosure, a lot of the mechanisms around it. They can set up review committees, they can set up their own inquiry committees. And in a way, it duplicates our O's function only under political control. I mean, the setup of the review board, you've got one current former security official, one foreign service official, a scientist or an engineer, an economist, historian, sociologist. They all get clearance to varying degrees. And so, you know, you can see that they're really setting up to do a proper review of this stuff. And as I say, the way it's actually set up itself is that uh, a lot of the the actual committees and stuff can actually do a thorough look at effectively disclosure. So it's not some sort of little librarian's reading club. It's actually a massive, uh, you know, it's a big sort of, as I say, setting up the architecture of disclosure to go forward. And I think it's designed fundamentally to sort of relegate Arrow and these other sort of uh, duplicitous sort of, or whatever, non-accountable departments and, and put, the politicians and other people actually in charge of the disclosure process and certainly put the White House in charge of it. So, I mean, uh, I think they know there's a cover-up and they need to get to the bottom of it. I mean, obviously, as you say, the White House, White House is actually uh, really, you know, centrally involved in this. Uh, and it sort of changes the game for me and it's likely that the mainstream media, once this is set up, will come much more on board. And uh, I think, and as Grush has said at the start, it might indicate once this is up and running, which should be up and running in February, it may be the precursor to some kind of announcement next year, which is why I was joking about your, the mushroom bet, really. So, yeah, I think it's massively impactful, Frank. And I think that the fact of the existence of this act means that there's a lot of people now trying to stop it because it could potentially lance the boil of this secrecy you know, uh, once and, not once and for all, but in a very significant way. And that's why, A, it's been set up and B, why people are trying to stop it now. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy just to hear, you know, that kind of language in, in, in official legislation or official proposed legislation like that. I mean, obviously, as I say, I've been the last few years, every time you know these these kinds of things have come out i've i've done read throughs of the of the documents in full in some cases and things like that and um you know this is definitely a bit of a 
a step further, you know, direct. I, mean, I remember, you know, it, makes, it made me think when this all came out, it, I cast my mind back to doing that for the first time. And there were certain things that were like pretty ambiguous, you know, in terms of like exploiting, you know, technology, debris and things like that. And I can't remember the specific phrases, but there were things like that which could basically mean anything. And to go from that to a few years down the line where it specifically talks about definitions of non-human intelligence and you know really really clearly trying to avoid any ambiguity like that was really you know quite striking how 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 much of a step forward that is and as you say one of the uh one of the parts of it says not later than 60 days after the date of the enactment of this act the archivist shall commence establishment of a collection of records in the national archives to be known as the unidentified anomalous phenomena records collection and then as you mentioned there there's that specific plan set out for how to actually compile that records collection and a required timeline for it to be you know uh, disclosed to the public obviously if it's decided that that's the correct thing to do with with each of the files and whatnot and my thing with it is it does sound really promising and it's unprecedented and i would have you know been in disbelief if somebody was would have shown me this this word in a few years ago when i was reading through you know the the sort of like dribs and drabs that we had back then it didn't seem like that at the time it seemed like huge you know huge language but now compared to this it's, it doesn't seem like a lot but i think there's a there's a but there uh i think perhaps because you know, first of all, we've got to see if this makes it to becoming official, which, you know, it does look as though it's on the path to doing so without too much, um, you know, changes and watering down and things. And if we look at the last few years, generally speaking, most of it has ended up making it through in the end, you know, the, the kind of the key bits. But there has been a few bits, if we think back, that have been taken out. And in some cases, you know, a couple of a couple of fairly important things have, have been removed, you know, at, at the later stages. So we'll have to see, you know, if any of that does happen. But we've also got to remember how, you know, how good the non-disclosure brigade, if you will, are at wriggling out of complying with this this kind of legislation. You know, because you know, I think some folks will will have looked at this. Um, and and think okay, so the government are gearing up to reveal all, so you know we best buckle up because it's all happening and that kind of thing. And it's not necessarily going to be the case because obviously, as 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 you know, Dave, you know, and as we've discussed quite a lot, you know, what this basically means is those within government who are pushing for disclosure have put this into motion. That doesn't guarantee that those who are looking at keeping the secrets are going to just roll over and comply. You know, that's kind of not what they've ended up doing over the last few years when these kind of bits of legislation have gone through. You know, they're, they're more likely, in, in my opinion, because obviously it's all opinions at the end of the day, but in my opinion, they're going to be looking right now at ways to wriggle out of complying. And, you know, in some ways, you could say even take it a step further there's a there's a bit of a a danger perhaps if 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 you appear to have delivered an ultimatum you know you have to reveal everything that you've got by this date whether that be records and files or whether that be the actual locations of craft or you know the, the actual the, the gear itself you know the tech and the and the, the bodies perhaps the biological material whatever that consists of by these private defense contractors aerospace contractors whatever what happens when they do get to that date, the ultimatum date, and nothing 
has been revealed if that does happen to be the case you know because we know they have the power and resources to find loopholes and many loopholes and exemptions are probably already sort of built into what they do um I don't have to, I often consider that these programs have been, you know, again, allegedly, but, you know, so we, so we sort of um, have gone down the path of thinking that they've been operating outside of oversight, you know, and when something is not being overseen, how do you actually enforce these kinds of things? You know, who knows what kind of exempted status they have been given, like we've talked about a lot before, um, you know, if, if they've had the you know that exempted status from oversight what other exemptions have they had a sort of an argument i've made in the past is that if they've been given that exempted status from oversight altogether then in all likelihood they might have been given exemptions in terms of complying with these new types of legislation that might be drawn up down the line you know despite the sort of questionable legalities or something like that we certainly know that great lengths have been gone to and moral lines have been crossed in the past to maintain secrets especially when they're inextricably linked to national security and i think probably myself and a lot of other people who've watched oppenheimer recently have sort of been reminded of that um you know the extent that that the you know governments go to 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 cover things up and, and when you look at uh, you know history history you do see that when we consider all of that you know, if we do get to a deadline for revealing any sort of tech bodies, craft or whatever, and, and nothing gets brought forward, what are the headlines going to say? You know, is it going to be like BBC News headline? Oh, there's no spaceships after all. You know, defence contractors say there's nothing to see here. Or like, you know, UFO conspiracists are disappointed as it turns out there's no aliens after all. You know, all the kind of silly headlines come out and, you know, what happens then? Is, it, is there a possibility or a danger? You know, you could say that public interest wanes a bit and this goes on the back burner again for a few decades. And I don't know, it's, there's always that in the back of my mind. I think all of this is great, some unprecedented progress, but, you know, that that I've just described will be the outcome that the non-disclosure gang wants. And, you know, it's almost like it hangs in the balance at the moment, you know, because they'll be working full tilt to achieve that. And we know that they've got, you know, unbelievable resources and, and potentially financial capability to deliver that outcome that they're going to want. And I don't know, end of the day, I'm not being pessimistic. Hopefully that won't happen, but I'm just saying it's a possibility and considering how previous years legislation has been wriggled out of, you know, thinking of like, you know, the progression from the UAP task force, which actually, as we look back at it now, it was, we didn't know how good we had it back then compared to the AOI, MSG, and then eventually Arrow, you know, they, they've wriggled out of all of that exciting legislation that came through over the last couple of years. But that's not the full picture though, I suppose, is it? Because other aspects of that legislation have led to what we've got now with like the protections for Grush and that kind of thing coming out. So it's, we're going to have to wait and see how it all plays out. But there's, for me, I feel a bit like it's a hanging in the balance stage at the moment. What, what do you reckon? I, I reckon, though, Frank, you've got to remember, this is running. This has all been coming on the back of all this whistleblower testimony coming out and other testimony that's come before. So there's a parallel track to all this. There's a good audit trail, I think, that's been established of what there is and what there isn't. Uh, these legacy programs, I, I think most opinion is that they're illegal anyway, so I don't think those exemptions are going to stand up. And as I say, the big thing is there's people coming forward and, you know, uh, 
it's very hard for Pete. There's an audit trail of what's going to come out. I think you're right. I mean, they will try and wriggle out of it. But again, this is where this pivot in approach comes out in. But the onus is on these people to come forward with stuff. And if, if as I say, there is an audit trail, then they're going to need to do that. You are right, though. We have seen ourselves that they put the fix in. They're very skilled at putting the fix in with the legislation and when things are doing. So we, that's what we're seeing now at the moment. So there's definitely a big push to try and take out eminent domain, uh, you know, because of the contractors worry that they'll have the intellectual property taken off them and to take this language out as well. But uh, personally, I think the way the act is structured, it's very difficult for them to get out of it. But if there wasn't the whistleblowers alongside this, and all the evidence we haven't seen, then I, I, I would be worried. But because of what's happening, I think this is all a response to that. And they thought, Christ, we're going to have to do something here. So you're right to be cautious, and they are going to try and wriggle out of it. But I just think the weight of evidence and what's happening is just too much for them to manage. And I think all through this process, the non-disclosure people have increasingly been handed cleverly choices by Lou et al. of do you want to take the terrible option or the not-so-bad option? And that's what he's presented to him all the time. And I think this is another example of that. The UAP Disclosure Act is the not-so-bad option. The terrible option is that it all comes out and they all end up exposed and in the clinky and all the rest of it. So I think that's part of this process. Even though they do well and they sometimes win, fundamentally they've been funneled down this path of where they've got a great, you know, They've got to sort of, in the end, sort of fess up, and they're just trying to put the day off. Now, I might be being optimistic there, but that's my sense of it. And this act is clearly informed by all that whistleblower stuff. So my view is we're ed it's an inevitability, but it, it's, there's going to be a lot of bumps on the road. And uh, you're right. I mean, the audit, we don't know what the audit trail is in terms of all the documents. Remember, this is going to start with, Roswell, 45, just before that, maybe some of the stuff on the atomic, around the atomic things, and then it's going to work its way, for, it's going to work its way onwards, and we'll start to see all the stuff in the 50s come out, the 60s, and it'll stop about 20 years, just before Nimitz, and then we'll, st we'll start to see the debate. And, but, so there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out. We know that Grush and other people have come forward about this. So these people know that, that those things have been talked about, so... I don't know, you'd have to be pretty brave to try and not give the evidence over. And as I say, they won't be the ones who are the gatekeepers and whether it gets released or not. I mean, so, yeah, it's I, you're right, Frank. It's an interesting one as we're just talking about it now. I'm more optimistic because I know what's happening. As I say, I don't know what's happening, but I can see that the weight of evidence is pushing it. But, yeah, they have got a good track on get, getting out of things. But as I say, the overall direction of travel is they being followed into a corner, you know, softly, softly, as it were, or, you know, inch by inch, incrementally. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. Um, incremental gains, isn't it? It's almost like, you know, <laughs> I was thinking when you I'm were talking. Thinking, yeah, I've got a great mind thinking like No, I, I, I was thinking it reminds me of the bloody Godfather 3, you know, where they're having these constant legal <laughs> battles and yeah. they're each trying to outdo each other and, and, yeah. and you know, pen each other into a corner with the, uh, the, the relevant legal language and that kind of thing. <laughs> I think that's kind of what we've been seeing over the last few years in a way you know it's a lot of this language as we know has been informed by people like Mellon and Lou Elizondo 
law and whatnot. And as we know, Grush himself actually had a hand in writing some of this legislative legislative language, um, that's basically sort of paved the way for himself to actually come forward. You know, the the protections for whistleblowers and stuff, and it's it's kind of you know, it's like a, we've we've often described it as a tug of war. You know, but on the on the one hand, they managed to wriggle out of some of the requirements of what the the UAP office has to do by sort of you know preempting it with the AOIMSG back in the day and things like that. But there they, there wasn't really a great deal they could do about the whistleblower thing. And now we've we've got Grush coming forward, and I think that that pressure from the outside in that way, um, you know, will will definitely keep that pressure building sort of thing. You know, if there if there is indeed the the kind of weight of of other people looking to you know potentially come forward at some stage then that'll just that'll be that that other other form of pressure um but But, do you remember when we simplified it we said it was uh the five pillars were effectively two pillars which was raise awareness and exert pressure and that's been the strategy all along i think that's certainly for me for me what for, for me watching it anyway Oh, anyway, yeah, so. But at the end of the day, the proof will be in the pudding. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll like with a lot of these things. We'll, we'll have to see how it all goes. But I think the lesson I've learned with all of these various bits of legislation is that, um, and, and just in general with this topic over the last few years, is it, it can often feel like we're on the precipice of you know pandora's box about to be blown apart and you know but but it's it's usually two steps forward one step back you know in the end we do make progress but there is that pushback as well as much as you know the 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 push for transparency is progressing there's also that push push back isn't there i i think we'll also see a deal at the end of it frank you know all this eminent domain and all the rest of it they are very reliant on the air of private sector the aerospace sector so I think what will happen is there'll be a realignment and then they'll just do a deal about the intellectual property. They might have to give the stuff over, but they keep ownership. They'll sort out a new way of doing it. I don't think that, I think they'll just try and realign it and try and get control and then keep it going business as usual while hopefully opening it up to further study. And I think that's what we'll see at the end. Everybody tends to think in absolutes, you know, and nightmare mm. scenarios and, winners and losers but i think it'll be a classic compromise at the end of it and it's more about a change in management that we've seen here and that's the other question when the people have been pushing for disclosure maybe get what their aim is how that might be where people say well hang on do we want any more and then the blinds come down again so i think there's very much an on there'll be a sort of compromise at the end of the day and a deal and it, the nature of that deal is, is maybe what we don't know yet, but is the thing to be sort of aware of. Yeah. So let, let's move on to um, another thing that's that's been taking place um, since uh, I last had an episode or since we last had a discussion uh, on the air, as it were. Uh, the NASA press briefing <laughs> yeah you might have heard dave sigh just then that sums it up i think we can move on to the next topic after that's pretty much all we need to say but um yeah but just to delve into it so nasa brought a panel of 16 experts together in 2022 um to e- examine data related to ufos uap um which uh, nasa itself um, you know, and, and everybody, I suppose, now uh, refers to as UAP. And, you know, in, in all fairness, it was made clear when this first got announced that the report that they'd be putting together 
um, is is not like a review or an assessment of you know previously uh, unidentifiable cases and things like that. But what they, what they'd said when they announced it was that it would be a roadmap um, of what what possible data could be collected in the future. And obviously, there was a lot of discussion at the time. We discussed it at the time that it does seem a bit ridiculous that NASA, who've probably got access to some of the best data, uh, set put put this study into place. You know, with a relatively small amount of funding for for, for what would be necessary, they put a study into place to decide what data to look at. And I'd, I'd use the filing cabinet analogy. It's like somebody sat on a filing cabinet full of really important files, trying to decide where's the best place to look for the best files. You know, it just seems completely bizarre. But, you know, it sort of, there was, there was a bit of positivity about it out there and, and there was a bit of, of questioning about it out there. But at the end of the day, we all just had to wait and wait and see what actually happened. But anyway, this report uh, and, and the press briefing finally came at a time when the topic obviously has been firmly planted into the mainstream, um, you know, since it was announced, I suppose quite a lot's happened, uh, and all of that has been culminating in this huge story of, of David Grush coming forward um, early this year. Obviously, I don't think David Grush needs any introduction at this point. Uh, anybody who's not familiar with him, um, it's probably best just to, to do a quick Google search or have a, have a listen to the last few episodes uh, that that I've done and, and that we did together. Um, that contains all of the background info. So obviously a name like NASA, an iconic organization, you know, one of those organizations that people wear T-shirts with NASA on, even if they're not particularly even interested in space, you know, it's that iconic, isn't it? You know, Primark sell NASA T-shirts, you know, and that kind of a name always generates headlines whenever they get involved with anything. And, you know, UFO topic, no exception. And in fact, you would naturally think that UFOs would be a natural home, uh, you know, NASA would be the natural home for that kind of investigation. So how did it all go? You know, did we see anything in this presser, in this report that validated the positivity expressed by many last year about NASA's involvement? Well, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll hand over to you in a minute. But um, I, I think um, personally, I thought Bill Nelson's comments were, you know, just just ridiculous, really, beyond the pale. And um I, I just wanted to quote what he said, just in case anybody hasn't heard it, or if anybody has, just so that you can have a cringe uh, once again. So, quote: "What he's uh, this was when he was Bill Nelson um, was actually asked uh, about Grush, David Grush in particular, uh, at the at the press uh, press conference." Uh, by a by a journalist and obviously bill nelson being the head honcho of nasa everyone was interested to see what he had to say and he said quote what he said if i recall having seen this on the nightly news was that he had a friend that knew where a warehouse was that had a ufo locked up in a warehouse he also said he had another friend that said that he had parts of an alien whatever he said where's the evidence and then the guy asking the question, visibly flabbergasted, I think, said, um, well, he also said he interviewed over 40 employees at the Pentagon. And back back to Bill Nelson, who said, long time ago, there was a TV show, Jack Friday, I think. I think he said Jack Friday anyway. And he yeah. used to say, and he used to say, just the facts, show me the evidence. So, I mean, first of all, just, just what the hell, man? I mean, you're about to do a press briefing about your major organization study into UFOs, 
there's a government whistleblower who comes out and provides you know detailed testimony at a hearing on camera under oath about his actual job his his official role on the inside looking at this topic and this individual is openly stating that he's got lists of witnesses specific information about an active multi-decade cover-up actionable information including the specific whereabouts of the materials and you don't bother to actually even look into it properly other than just you know a summary on the nightly news i mean i I mustn't have been the only one thinking what the hell is this guy playing at you know it's it's just a disgrace really it just seems disrespectful to not only grush and, and fravor and graves as well who were actually at that hearing who made the effort to go and testify about this extremely important issue that there's a genuine, you know, large amount of interest from the public who, who are wanting and, you know, demanding answers on this. You know, it's just it's just shocking to see. I mean, essentially, the key point, though, is that this independent study team, they, they were using unclassified data from civilian, like, government so civilian entities essentially you know commercial data and data from other sources to you know to inform the findings and the recommendations in this report and whatnot and you know there is um there's a there's a pretty limited number of really high quality cases that come from those type of those type of sources and very difficult to have any firm conclusions about things from those but to me deciding against using basically the best data that we know exists probably within nasa's own archives and within the dod's files and whatnot none of that's going to be looked at despite containing the nimitz data the very recent data on that eglin air force base presented recently by Matt Gates that you touched on earlier. And, you know, the whole thing, it just seemed a bit broken from the start as an approach, really, which was why we were quite pessimistic about it when it got announced and why I, and, and I presume you, weren't really surprised at this. And I just think at the end of the day, you know, we can sometimes be overawed by big NASA getting involved and, and, and give them a pass, but I don't think we should give them that pass if their approach, frankly, sucks. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I won't give everybody well, not much my usual history lesson on NASA because it was exactly as bad as I thought it was going to be. Not a bit worse, but it is worth just reflecting on what happened. If you remember, uh, in May '22, Scott Bray and Moultrie he threw NASA a hospital pass, uh, saying, "Oh, well, NASA will get involved." And NASA have been they've been at it for years, as we know. And they were trying to sneak past without under the radar, no pun intended, not being noticed. So NASA then had the problem of how did he be seen to look into the issue whilst getting around the fact they've got this vast pile of evidence you mentioned in their own archives. So the only way to do it is what they did. They did this study about how best to study UAP without actually looking. That meant they could take ages and not actually look at their own. It was the only way they couldn't look at their own archives. So uh, then they set up a panel that were like all, most of them were very, very sceptical. It was like having a sort of panel of hangman on capital punishment, you know, doing a vote on that. It was just ridiculous. So basically, they've come up with this plan to, to be a little busy and do nothing. So now, come to the report. And as you say, I mean, if you think about what they actually did, I mean... Uh, 
the results were what we thought, but there was a misleading comment about no proof of extraterrestrials, which James Fox pulled him up on. Well, there was no proof of it not being extraterrestrials, and why use that language? And it transpired that there are, that proof wasn't from their own study. That was from peer-reviewed scientific papers. It was nothing to do with their study, but they give that impression. And there's hardly any peer-reviewed scientific papers of that topic anyway. So there was uh, there was no use of classified data. So sort of things useless effectively. No matter how they go on with this idea of citizen science and everybody waving their iPhones in the air and all the rest, which is another idea. Uh, the event uh, said, oh, well, the Civil Aviation, or whatever they're called in America, FIAOA, they can use their open source platform. We'll have a look at that, use AI on that, not mentioning their own platform again, which was absolutely ridiculous. Big focus on getting a baseline. You know, God, how many baselines do we need when they're sitting on loads of stuff? So it was pretty clear, that, and there wasn't much of a plan going forward and there's no real intention to me again look at the available data but the biggest i mean it was such a the big thing is the press conference was a disaster from start to finish it was amateurish he made a fool of himself as you just said bill nelson about crush everybody was pulling pulling the face about that but the biggest one of all they spent a lot of time saying how transparent they were going to be then they refused to name the director the project director i mean that was the biggest joke I mean, that, and, they, and then they were forced to do it with a tail between the legs, you know, 24 hours later, not even that. I mean, that was absolutely ridiculous. They were just arrogant. They kept cloaking themselves in science to avoid getting through things. And I could see the same thing with Arrow does, mentioning science, setting this impossibly high bar as an excuse not to do anything, not to investigate. So I just think nothing came out of it. Now, I don't want to, I won't go on any more more about it but i do what i have been thinking about this the big argument and you touched on it and you weren't saying this but the big argument is that nasa somehow their involvement puts uap on the map so that sort of doesn't really matter what they're doing uh it's putting it on the map but but i think that isn't quite accurate really because i think uh apart from the obvious misdirection of the public i think the behavior means it isn't a good thing because the senior team at NASA were assuming, and I'm sure I'm in a lot of this front, we could have a big detailed discussion, I could do it in more detail, but we're pretty sure the senior team knows that they've got a lot of actual evidence. They've set this study up not to look at that evidence or tell anybody about it, and they picked sceptical people to sit on the board as well. So the actual scientists don't know about what the actual evidence is. Uh, and they, they're going down, they've got a false belief here. And what it really means is the ultimate result all this misdirection is that NASA are going to produce results that actively mislead the public and the entrenched scientific opinion away from the actual situation. So while we might get this superficial bounce of people looking at UAP, fundamentally the way they're going down this, it's going to skew a mainstream view of the topic away from the, the reality of it. And there comes a point where you have to say, no, that's not good enough. We passed the point of getting UAP recognition. So I think that in an effort to get around this and not be caught out and to not have their pristine reputation done, this is really doing damage to the way people look because they've got a lot of clout NASA and they're knowingly misleading their own people and the public, which pay the wages as it were. And I think it's a, I don't think the argument, well, it's good they're looking at it, holds water anymore. So I think it's pretty serious. And I think this press conference underlined that. 
But I also think they're pretty marginal, really. And I'll tell you another thing. In the UAP disclosure, like, they named as one of the people. So whatever they're saying here, they're going to have to start putting forward the information they've got and send it over to the archivist. And I think the one good whistleblower statement away, I thought Grush was going to do it in the hearings, but he didn't. Being bubbled, as it were, as we would say in Salford, being, you know, being exposed uh, by somebody saying, oh, yeah, well, I work with NASA on this. That's why I don't think they sent the representatives to the hearings. And I think that at some point, it's, it's, they try to sneak past, you know, without being seen, and I don't think it's going to work. And I think all this line and all the rest of it is going to blow up in the face. I hope it does anyway, because I think it's a disgrace. And, the, and uh, we've got to stop having this sort of fanboy worship of NASA that isn't deserved. It's not deserved by the way they're conducting themselves. And they're acting in a way that's against science. Anyway, I can feel my blood pressure going up again now. So I'll stop <laughs> at that point. But, I, you know, that's my view anyway. Yeah, no, that's it. At the end of the day, the 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 respect you know of a, of an organisation like that has, has to be earned. You know, on a on a regular basis. You know, it's uh, it's not just something that they have because they've got that big name. And you know, it's one of them. I'm, I'm not I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. You know, it's <laughs> sort of thing. And it's such a shame <laughs> because I thought there was a, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of faith in in Bill Nelson really and. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's one of them. Maybe that that particular thing was just a clangor, you know. And I don't know. I, I would like. Yeah, that. Sorry to interrupt, but that Bill Nelson thing really shocked me because I thought, what if you remember we discussed it, and I thought that they put Bill in there as a force because he made some positive statements, like you said. We thought he was part of the pro disclosure movement, and they put him there to shake narrow up as uh, NASA up and narrow. <laughs> There's a Freudian slip. Eh? <laughs> uh, they put him there to shake, uh, to shake NASA up and sort of push. And that's what he seems to be doing. But that statement, he went out of his way to trivialise Rush's testimony in a very deliberate and derogatory way. And so I think he was, I don't want to, it's not conspiratorial, but he's obviously changed his view. He's been got he's been pressured. Or he just, I can't believe he was just poorly briefed. And that was that. Why use that language? So I was shocked at that, Frank. And I still don't quite understand what the vault face is about. Yeah, it's a weird one. That's what I was saying. I'm kind of almost hoping that it was just a just a clangor, you know. But I don't know. At the end of the day, just to go back to your Freudian slip there, you could say that the focus of their study is a little bit too narrow. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we'll, we'll move on. Another thing that, um, that, that's been happening in, in, in recent months is the sort of emergence of, um, or at least from my point of view, because it's not somebody that was on my radar uh, until quite recently, is uh, the emergence of Michael Schellenberger as, um, you know, a, a very influential journalist, I think it's safe to say, who, who's took on the UFO topic, um, a leading investigative journalist who's who's broken major stories uh, on all sorts of things uh, crime and drug policy homelessness uh, amazon deforestation i think he's done quite a lot about environmental issues um, and he's he's you know testified and advised governments on these issues around the world and um essentially you know a pretty pretty up there kind of mainstream journalist he's also a best selling author essentially another pretty major journalist to cotton on to the fact that this is a pretty major story, the type of story that pretty major journalists should be taking on. Like Ross Coulthard's been 
harping on about in a good way i mean for a long time to sort of uh get get people more interested in this that's what that's what good journalists should do you should go after good stories and um it's good to see michael schellenberger start devoting some time to seriously investigating this and uh, and bringing forward well-researched articles that you know i suppose have a fair amount of impact really given the credibility of the writer and you know the the reach that his articles are going to have and there was a particular article recently, I think it was the 25th of September, if I've uh, got that right, which gives some updates as to what's been going on behind closed doors, um, you know, f- from sources on the inside, uh, following on from Grush's stepping forward and the, you know, the hearing and the various documentary style interviews that Grush has done. And, and in this particular article, um, you know, I should have say in the documentaries and things that Grush has been doing, he's he's been hinting about these these other individuals that he's interviewed and the te- the testimony that they have given to uh, the Inspector General and some other bits and pieces that have been going on behind the scenes, which we'll probably or hopefully start seeing the results of as as time goes along. So this particular article was was entitled "Dozens of Government UFO Whistleblowers Have Given Testimony to Congress." Pentagon and Inspectors General say sources, and I think safe to say that it would probably be a good idea for Bill Nelson to to you know get a lot of this article. To be honest with you, wouldn't it? Um, Absolutely. Uh, you know, maybe he does. You know, maybe Bill Nelson listens to UFO Thinker podcasting or go and read this article and turn over a new leaf. <laughs> but we'll see. But in uh, in in August, um, basically shortly after um, David Grush gave testimony to Congress about these crashed spacecraft and alien biologics. Uh, many observers were wondering, you know, how much credence to put in in his testimony. After all, Grush is just a single individual. Um, and the the other two individuals who, who testified were former Navy pilots. Uh, obviously, Dave Fravor, Ryan Graves, who everybody will be familiar with, I would think. And if not, you should definitely Google the names. And, uh, you know, they they didn't say in particular that they had any evidence of a government program uh, to do with reverse engineering. They were just talking about their experiences. So a lot of, you know, a lot of the articles and the discussion about this was that it was just Grush saying this stuff. And I suppose at a, a very surface level glance, you might think that, which is probably what Bill Nelson seems to have done. Um, as I say, probably the, a, a clangor on, on Bill Nelson's part, really, just skimming it and looking at a, a, a nightly news summary. But, you know, it supposedly is, you know, at least 30 other whistleblowers working for the federal government or government contractors um, have, have given testimony or protected disclosure to the Office of the Intelligence Community Inspector General, um, the Defence Department Inspector General, or to Congress over the last few months. And this is all according to the sources, obviously, interviewed by Public, which I believe is the platform um, that Michael Schellenberger, I, th- I think he's a founder of the platform, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he is. And um, the fact that these all of these dozens of whistleblowers have, have come forward, um, you know, is not evidence of extraterrestrial life, specifically but you know it is definitely intriguing as the article very clearly lays out and certainly points towards it being a lot more than just just grush and the article says 
um, the sources who asked to remain anonymous and are all in a position to know told public that in addition to the whistleblowers reporting wrongdoing, between 30 to 50 government employees or contractors have gone to the DOD's Aldermain Anomaly Resolution Office to offer testimony about UAPs specifically. Um, and the article has a section behind the paywall as well, which also has been sort of quoted quite widely online, which even goes into um, some of these these people who've, who've given testimony talking about a successful um, reverse engineering effort of a triangular craft of non-human origin. And that was like, I think I screenshotted that and sent it to you. Absolutely unbelievable. And obviously, long-time listeners of the podcast will know that I have a particular fascinating with, fascination with triangles. <laughs> and I think when I, when I was talking earlier about, um, you know, reconsidering certain things that was the one i, I talked to you about it david didn't i on signal right, you know I'd, I'd kind of long thought wow oh, i doubt we've cracked it i don't i don't think we've managed to get this this tech and triangles are very very seldom reported as, as having landed and obviously you know this testimony sort of would seem to to go against that long held assumption that, that i've that i've had you know um but having said that it, it is just an anonymous source at this stage but it's interesting how how it makes you you know how it makes you think and if if that person who who delivered that testimony about the successful reverse engineering of a triangular craft was ever to come forward in the same way that that Grush has it, you know, that would certainly be the next level of that so yeah a lot to discuss really about that article so what are your thoughts on it dave well i mean i mean you've covered a lot of it frank but yeah he is effectively the second uh ross Coulthard, effectively he's come forward apparently he's done a lot of deep dive similar to ross and when as you said when grush had come forward that gave him the impetus to come forward because oh, i think he was worried but it might not ruin his reputation it might be too soon and grush sort of allowed him to do that but essentially what he's done with his stuff is he's fleshed out and confirmed what Grush has been saying as an individual person, even though albeit on the back of all these whistleblowers, he's actually spoke to these people, a lot of them, and actually confirmed from them what Grush has been saying. So a bit like, I mean, his 30 whistleblowers have gone to the ICG, ICIG, the Inspector, Intelligence Community Inspector General, or Congress all last seven months, and then that's the thing, but I'm glad you said that because I read it like that. Well, 30 or 50 separately, it says in the article, but I, I'm still not quite sure about that, went to Arrow. So that's a massive number of people coming forward. And I think what also the debate has been around this, and so he says himself, he's tried to be, you know, because really Mick Westley about it really or whatever, ultra sceptical about it. He's not, but he's just, you know, he... he really asked himself the question so either they're all being deceived which he's decided is highly unlikely they're all suffering from mass hysteria which is highly unlikely so Occam's razor the, prop, the the most likely thing is they're all telling the truth because he's going to come forward and do a mass deception where they're subject to criminal penalty it's quite ironic but Opp Occam's razor i.e. The, the, mo the easiest solution is probably the, the most obvious solution is probably the right solution which has been used to such effect by sceptics when they didn't have any challenged he's actually now working in favor of people who are looking at uap reality because it's true he effectively said you know i'm looking at all these other possibilities but the biggest possibility is that it's true and i mean and like you say he confirmed all the reverse engineering stuff usa russia china he 
said there was tests in the materials. He said there was the ongoing disinfo campaigns, like Grush said, confirmed the kinetic military action with UAPs. Uh, and again, Frank, that big one we talked about a few months ago, or a couple of months ago now, contacts and collaboration with NHI, that big one, that is massive. And as you mentioned, the triangular craft. Now, I get the impression some of the whistleblowers have confirmed a lot of this on mass and the triangular craft stuff is that there's not just one, but there's, or maybe it is one in that case, but there's less on some things. But essentially, what he's done is fleshed out the Grush testimony and said, we've got 30 odd people here who are confirming what Grush said. So that massively, to me, elevates things. And again, the second bit of the article, most of the stuff was in the, the, the bit you could read publicly, but it's really about the attempts, as you were saying, to actually kill off, uh, to, to tack the UAP Disclosure Act, essentially, and try and put the brakes on this. So he's got uh, Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defence in Biden's administration, trying to kill off the UAP Disclosure Act, and he's got links to Raytheon private sector. I'll get into that in a minute when we look at maybe another article on it. You've got Congressman Mike Turner, head of the, the Congressional Intelligence Committee. He's tried to not only kill the bill, but stop further congressional UAP hearings. And we've also got the accusation of Senator Mark Warner uh, trying to do the same in the Senate, although that's not as clear because he looked very surprised when that accusation was put to him by Matt Laszlo. So there's also a lot of other reports of conflicts of interest within the DOD and the intelligence establishment, and they've got links to the aerospace companies, and again around this opposition to the UAP Disclosure Act. So there's this whole thing emerging about all these conflicts of interest and attempts, the thing we were talking about a bit earlier, they're actively trying to do this. And it's amazing the, the way, and I'd say we'll get into that in a minute, maybe we'll talk about Chris Sharp's article how these things play out but i think if you reflect on what what we're sort of seeing now you've got attempts in congress to sort of hold hearings and we've got these select and the select committees being blocked you've got people like gates luna birchett the lobbying and now ex-speaker mccarthy hearings and it's it's unclear if they'll succeed or not so that's a bit up in the air i think mccarthy's ousting a speaker by the way may sort of create an opportunity. That might be a lever or a bargaining chip. That That's too early to say that. But in the Senate, there's still talk of hearings in October and November. Chris seems to think that may happen, although he's careful, you know, Chris is careful not to say November. But, uh, and I think we may well see some one of these whistleblowers uh, potentially coming forward before Christmas who've got had their hands on the craft. That seems to be the expectation. But the problem is people are keeping the cards very, very close to the chest so things don't get scuppered. So it's quite hard to tell actually what's going on. But I actually think, as I say, you might have uh, before Christmas, we may well see some of these whistleblowers with first-hand experience. Carl Nell from the Space Force seems to be a favourite coming forward. And the other thing, Frank, and that maybe we'll get touch on this with James Fox a little later, there's a lot of frustration in the pro-disclosure camp with the slow peddling that this is going on and the attempts to derail things. And the threat has been since 2021, since the first UAP task force report, the spectre has been raised. If you don't play ball and do something and be reasonable about this, we're just going to release stuff. And this is that coming back to that thing again, giving the, 
the people who don't want disclosure a, a, a bad choice or an even worse choice. And I think we're starting to see that emerge again. So it's really, really quite interesting, you know, uh, where we are with this. And I think Schellenberger not only confirmed Grush, but got the sense of the turmoil within government as they're fighting against this UAP Disclosure Act. And that's why I think it's so important, because it's a seminal development, because everything, it may lance that boil in terms of what's been going on in the government, but maybe, you know, anyway. So that's my where we are. Yeah, re re really good points. And um, I think uh, the specific uh, points in this, it, this article that uh, we're referring to is that, uh, it says, quote, um, some may, sim talking about the wh the whistleblowers that have come forward and whatnot, some may be simply reporting illegal or unethical behaviour related to UAP programmes, and but the sources who asked to remain anonymous and are all in a position to know told public that in addition to the whistleblowers reporting wrongdoing, between 30 to 50 government employees or contractors have all have gone to the DOD's All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office to offer testimony about UAP. So as you say, this specifically says in addition. Uh, and also the, the particular paragraph about the um, the triangle and whatnot, I've, I've pulled that up just to read it in full. It says, um, testimony is included both first-hand and second-hand reports of crash retrieval and reverse engineering programs by US, Russian and Chinese governments. The testing of materials obtained from retrieved craft, active and ongoing government disinformation operations, kinetic military action with UAPs, contact and collaboration with non-human intelligence, and the successful reverse engineering of a triangle-shaped craft with unconventional propulsion. I mean, it's just pretty wild to think, isn't it? I mean, what the the big thing? Just uh, you know, the key sort of bombshell point about that about that article, uh, and, and not just that article, but about people that Ross Coulthard has been speaking to, who's a similar level journalist to uh, Michael Schellenberger, or probably you know, arguably sort of a, a legendary journalist, Ross Coulthard at this stage, you know. Um, and with a with a good track record in terms of being correct about certain stories, and obviously the way he's brought the David Grush story forward with the vetting that was done and and that kind of thing speaks volumes about his integrity as a journalist. And then we've got Schellenberger with his background saying basically the same things that this is not just Grush, but it's backing up exactly what Grush has said that he's got all of this evidence. He can't provide it to the public. He's not going to say it on a podcast because that's just not how this stuff works. But what he can do is in that correct setting in the in the correct secure information facility with people who are cleared to hear that information he will reveal specific details including lists of witnesses you know specific locations of where this this stuff is you know direct proof of misappropriation of funds to go to these programs you know and and again um you know uh, somebody else who who has who's been bang on time after time in terms of track record from from sources and and he's also uh verifying all of this information and, and and basically making the same points is is our friend chris sharp who funnily enough i was speaking to the other day about uh potentially doing another show with with uh with me and, and you dave so uh and yeah. i believe you you wanted to talk a bit about the the recent article that, that yeah. chris did in liberation yeah. times well funnily enough i was talking to chris about when he was putting the article together and we're kicking it about a bit, I mean, he obviously did all the work. But essentially, you're right. What he did was 
he looked at my he used Michael's Michael Schellenberger's article as the sort of base and then confirmed a lot of his own sources and uh, it was crazy really. I mean it's just worth looking at the trail. Essentially what the story is, but the, the establishment is so riven with conflicts of interest around this, they're unable to look at it. So it's just I'll just go through it relatively quickly. Uh, but essentially, uh, you've got Lloyd Oskin, as I was saying earlier, Secretary of Defence. He's allegedly trying to undermine the Schumer Amendment, which is backed by the White House. He's got links to Raytheon Technologies, who are obviously one of these aerospace contractors. And he's also fearing the language could jeopardise national security. So he's undermining his own initi administration's initiative. And as I say, Due to the whistleblower allegations and balloon gate, and I talked about the Naval Intelligence Guy, Jake Biden, the National Security Advisor, decided it was necessary. And it's the prospect of this that I think is causing all the problems, like I say. So if Austin and the DOD is the problem, this then starts to cast shade on the leadership and intentions of Arrow. You know, we've led by Deputy, what's her name? Deputy Defence Secretary Kathleen Hicks. That's it. Sorry, I was just trying to remember. And, you know, they're all already aware of the existence of this, but she's leading Arrow. So what does that say about how honest Arrow are going to be? Then we move on to the intelligence, or Chris moves on to the intelligence establishment. You've got the former principal, I'm, I've got to read, I'm reading this, I have to write it down. The former principal deputy director of national intelligence was Stephanie O'Sullivan. She was a former CIA, CIA science and intelligence division deputy director. So she allegedly has got knowledge of a crash retrieval and engineering program. And she lied about this under oath. Now, if she know about it, we can assume that the current one, Stacey Dixon, who's supposed to go with Kathleen Hicks to look over Arrow, you know, she must have knowledge of it and they delayed announcing her to actually, you know, look at, do the, uh, what's the word, the oversight of, uh, from the intelligence point of view, of Arrow with Kathleen Hicks. So then you've got this, so the intelligence community are clearly implicated. You've got the ICG there issuing this carefully worded letter to Congress saying that uh, they've not done the audit of the IC following the investigation, but, but we know that they're actually doing an active investigation. That's been proved by Schellenberger, Ross Coulthard, by loads of testimony. So the speculation is they can't talk about what they're actually doing, or they, they, you know, they're using, not weasel words, but trying to, you know, uh, sophistry. Because they're actually doing this extensive investigation that's ongoing into all these different links. Now, interestingly, Stephanie O'Sullivan, again, according to Chris, is the board director on the Aerospace Corporation, which is one of these big aerospace bodies, got a load of links historically to uh, all the work they've been doing. That's a big player. You've got Eric Davis is involved, and I'm pretty sure Jay Stratton is and Travis Taylor as well. And uh, apparently they've also been working with Arrow on researching UAP. So you've got all these, and she was on the board of that. So you've got both the intelligence community, the senior government leaders, and they've all got clear links to private aerospace and conflicts of sort of interest. And they're trying to scupper the UAP Disclosure Act, essentially. So, I mean, what does that mean? I suppose it means that you can see getting disclosure through the DOD and the intelligence community is going to be virtually impossible. As there's so many conflicts of interest and people involved, you know, you know, it's all it's, it's in the legacy program stuff. It's virtually, it's like going in, uh, you know, as a, as a young detective and finding that the, the police force uh, are all on the take from a cartel, the detectives are all on the take from a cartel, 
the forensic laboratory people are on the take from the cartel. And you go and see the head chief of police and report, and he says, oh, no, we can't do that. It's going to sink the entire department. We can't. That's what it feels like. It's what a state of affairs. But this cover-up has been so damaging to the government, governments of the United States and the accountability that, you know, but, but they're unable to actually look at what's going on in, in the administration because they're all implicated. So uh, I think, as I, this is why I've been saying that, I think this UAP Disclosure Act is trying to lance this boil by naming all these agencies. And because of what it says and how it's set up, that's why they're trying so hard to stop it because there's no real getting out of it, really. And I think... What the Biden administration wants is, as I say, is the soft and order platform to do it, and, you know, so that they can try and do it gradually. And uh, I think the alternative to this, as I say, is absolutely chaos and a big conflict. So I, I think basically what Chris's article is pointing out brilliantly, actually, the way he's written it, is all the different conflicts in all these areas of all the people who we trust in to manage this process, which shows why some sort of politically-led, administration-led disclosure infrastructure is needed. And that's why I think the UAP Disclosure Act is actually the architecture to take this out of their hands and do it, you know, via different means, via the, the more accountable political administration and away from these people. So Chris's article is a brilliant compliment so Michael's article, I think, and or Michael Schellenberger's article, because I don't know Michael. <laughs> uh, so I shouldn't use his first name. Uh, so, but it's a really good complement to that. And, and if you look at the two things together, you can see this sort of quickening. And obviously the UAP Disclosure Act is the catalyst for that, because it puts them, you've got to put a poor shut up in a way. Anyway, that's, that, that's, that's what I got from Chris's article. I thought it was absolutely superb. And it'd be good to talk about it to him. Oh, that'd be really good. Yeah, definitely. I don't, I don't know if you remember months ago we were actually talking about doing a show with the three of us, and then end, we ended up having yeah, a break we, and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, but it'd right. be great to to do that. And um, you know, we're coming towards the end of the year. I think we're going to have to plan the Christmas episode oh, again oh, with yeah. yourself, that, the frankly. the ghost of uh, Christmas present, if I remember yeah. correctly. <laughs> I'll right, have to yeah. get see if Graham Rendell's up for being the ghost of Christmas oh, yeah. past again. This will be the third Christmas running that we've done that if we do yeah, it. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. That would be, good be really good. That if I'm looking forward to doing that because I was thinking about what we said last year and what what because it's all sort of moved on a bit, but you can see the clear what we thought was going to happen roughly has sort of happened because of this idea of the conflict driving things. And if you think about the 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 we thought that this disclosure effort would drive it, but you've got all the things like the UN and these other factors. And I think at the end of this, the, the way if it does come out with the UN might be where it all gets sort of resolved, that's a bit in the future. But I think that's been set up as well by Lou and all the rest of it as a potential, because it is the accepted sort of forum for international sort of uh, for mediation and whatever, you know, pressure valve, whatever. They don't use it much, but when they can't agree, they go to the UN and, and that might be, we might start to see the pieces fitting together a little bit. But that might be a little optimistic, but you know. Yeah, no, it's, 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 that sounds uh, it sounds about right. I mean, I think it's um, it's funny as well, you know. I bet if I went back and actually listened to what what Chris had said, 
uh, on on that Christmas episode. I bet most of what he said would be absolutely bang on as to what's happened this year. I mean, it's I remember him saying back then, you know, we might see whistleblowers, we might see hearings, and you know, it's probably going to be at this time of the year, and pretty much bang on. And uh, big shout out to Chris, um, you know. Definitely a, a friend of the show, been on quite a few times. And, and while I was away, I remember seeing the hearing and seeing Matt Gates's, um, uh, you know, speech that he gave about the Eglin Air Force Base case. And I remember thinking I just didn't have the time to 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 actually do anything, let alone sort of look into that in any in the depth that it deserves with something as significant as that. And then lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, Chris puts out an article about it saying that he's done exactly that, and um, it just speaks to the the quality of the the well, work. Well, that I Chris remember does. you talking to you left me a message, and we talked about that on Signal about that very thing. That was a and then like you say, Chris, because you were saying to me it's a bit very similar to the Nimitz case in terms of its, uh, you know, verifiability or whatever the word is, you know, and uh, Chris had clearly picked up on that and the NORAD link and all those different things, you know, it was really, yeah. I thought you were bang on there. And as you say, his finger on the pulse, Sharpie, Mystic Chris. <laughs> That's it. Crystal ball Chris, I yeah. think I used to uh, refer to yeah. him as. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's, um, but yeah, it's, um, I mean, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up a bit with like what we can sort of expect going forward. And that's one thing we definitely expect is more excellent journalism from Chris Sharp and digging into things like that. But um, as you say, one thing that I've been thinking about quite a bit is how many more cases like the Nimitz exist and that we might actually hear about. I never expected to hear about, and let's be fair, Eglin Air Force Base, we don't know all the specifics exactly just yet, but it sounds like it could be another case on the same level as the Nimitz, which has kind of been my point. You know, it's I, I remember hearing Hal Puttoff talk about data density of cases um, in, in, a, in a presentation that he gave many years ago, and the Nimitz is just that. It's the most data-dense case that there is, which is why it's, it's such an important, probably the most important case, I think, in my opinion, certainly, and obviously the listeners of the show will definitely uh, know that because I've gone on about it to the nth degree. But it's fascinating to think that a case like that can just pop up out of nowhere, unexpected, at the hearing. And if a few witnesses come forward and some footage comes out of that case, there you go. We've got another case as valuable as the Nimitz case in terms of the provability, the, the density of the data. Yeah, I, I mean, apparently... Uh, the- the Air Force had to fess up on that, and apparently Arrow have now been tasked with looking at it. It just shows you what an interview, because there's not because Arrow's main thing is don't look at it, try and avoid it, and my God's sake, don't do anything that might discover anything. That's what it seems to me to me. So yeah, and, and again, we're waiting for Arrow's report to come out, and we don't know yet. I mean, you were telling me there'd been reports of maybe a confidential one coming out, but whether that means that the public one's coming out soon or is a bigger delay, but. I'd be interested to see when they're going to cover that, but that's also very interesting. What that testimony from Gates and what the hearing has done to what is going to be reported on next, because it's getting to the point from where I think it's pretty hard for any reasonable person to sort of deny that this weight of evidence exists. It's like they're living in Fantasy Island in Sugoff and all the rest of it. All these, these like wordplay and the sophistry and you know, stretching the English language to sort of breaking point to try and get around saying, you know, to, to speaking the truth, really, or being frank or candid about what's happening. So, yeah, I mean, 
yeah, sorry, anyway, I interrupted you. Where were you, where you no, no, it's all, all good, man. It's, it's all just a discussion, really, about where where we can expect to, to head, I suppose. And like you say, I mean, there's the angle of it from from NASA reports, our reports, but, I mean, me personally, not particularly holding my breath for anything to, to come out of either of those, really, but still interesting to keep track of. And we never know. Um, you know, Bill Nelson might, as I say, turn over a new leaf, Arrow might get a new director. You know, there's, there's th- things that can happen. Things can change very quickly. So it's worth keeping an eye on those. But certainly something that um, that I'm going to be definitely, you know, anticipating uh, over the next year or so is is any of these witnesses, um, any of these direct witnesses, first hand, as they say, um, who have actually been involved in any of these crash retrieval programs on the inside, the types of people that Dave Grush has interviewed, you know, are we going to actually hear from any of those folks directly? And a lot of people who are, you know, sort of plugged into to various source networks on the inside uh, are under the impression that very much so we are going to do, and it's just a matter of time. Um, and again, I'm not. That's not just one of those idle speculation type things. That's people who have you know, specifically said a hearing is going to be coming in the next month or two, and then it comes. You know, they say that there's a case that involved this, this, and this, and then a couple of weeks later we hear about that case. So people with a a proven track record of knowing what's going on, finger on the pulse and whatnot, and, you know, some of the people that we've mentioned in terms of journalists with sources and, you know, other people that, that, you know, myself and others speak to in in the background as well, all all signs point to some of these first-hand witnesses actually you know, going going public in 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 one way or another, however that might be, and as I say, cases like Eglin Air Force Base, if that turns out to be as bulletproof as the Nimitz, and and you know, who knows when another case like that might be on the horizon as well. Um, particularly if we ever get any kind of confirmation, and this goes back to the question that I asked Chris Mellon uh, at that conference. If there's ever a case with direct confirmation of an object being tracked coming from space or an object transmedium travel in a way that can't be explained, boom, there it is. You know, what 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 more could you ask for than a Nimitz type case with direct proof of something coming from space? Which by the way, sort of with the more information that's dribbled out recently on the Nimitz case, it's certainly an even stronger indication than ever before that those objects in the Nimitz case came from space. But without having that like direct, you know, testimony of somebody who was the, the in charge of the sensor system that directly monitored them coming from space, and maybe even the data associated with that, you know, there's only so far you can go with it. But if we got a case like that with that that testimony and, and potentially even that data publicly available, that's that's something that could really sort of change the game. And at that point, it becomes pretty much undeniable. Um, are we going to see any of these first-hand you know, witnesses, whistleblowers, perhaps in a documentary? I know James Fox, I think we discussed earlier. Um, uh, James Fox, you know, what a guy! You know he's he's been doing yeah. some great work. I've got a lot of time for James Fox. I must I say, I think that. his I think his films are excellent. You know, I I wouldn't say I agree with every single thing he says. There's some cases that perhaps he puts a bit more weight in uh, into than than what I would. But I think you know he's he's, he's obviously a, a, a really a really good bloke and very very good at, at making films and um you know and he's been traveling around for the last um, I think month or so traveling around away from his family um so he says on twitter working on a documentary that's going to be coming out in summer 2024 
So a bit of a wait on that one, but still not that long off really. Um, and that potentially, who knows, maybe that's going to involve some um, some some of these first-hand witnesses that we've not heard from before. Maybe it'll be in another documentary in, in one form or another. And a big question is, um, that you might have a, a thought to add on, is whether or not Grush has actually been allowed the secure facilities to provide this information to the relevant people um, as he has he as he you know openly said that he could do at the hearing we know there were some issues with you know booking a skiff at the time of the hearing um they were denied access to one i believe if uh, if i remember correctly tim Burchett had said they'd had some trouble there um but has has that conversation that grush had said that he, he could have with the correct clearances in the correct location have those you know conversations took place you know, um, have, have you got any thoughts uh, well, to add on well, on that? Just to quickly go back to James Fox, he's like the big sword of Damocles going round America and all these military bases, filming, talking to these whistleblowers, as we understand it. Again, if they don't fess up or don't come forward, he's he's been threatening to release what he knows, and that sort of move, that documentary date in summer, is a big thing. As to I. Now, you asked me this question. I was pretty sure on this, but after you asked me, I'm not as sure. But I'm pretty sure what happened was they refused, on the day they refused him access to the skiff to tell him stuff, and then they took his security clearance off him in such a manner that he couldn't actually relate the information. They temporarily took it off him. So I think if he would have been able to testify, certainly to the Congress people, we would have heard about it, even if we don't hear anything what he said. So it's my view, Frank. That hasn't been resolved yet, and they're trying to resolve it. But I don't know for certain. Uh, but that, so I don't think that's happened yet. But uh, I, I think Grush sort of give the game away. I won't go into it now, but in that yes in that thing, I think it's yes project, something like that. Yes, something. yes theory. Yeah, that's it, yes theory. He talks about that, and he was pretty, that was a really good documentary. And as I said, I won't go into it, but there's one bit where I think he overshared, like I said at the start of the programme, where he said the plan was basically uh, to have some whistleblowers coming forward, where and, and well, to do the hearings, to have the thing set up, the UAP Disclosure Review Board, basically the review board set up in February, an announcement following later in the year, summer. I took from how he said it. I thought oh, that'll be summer, maybe autumn. So there's definitely something. I think that they've obviously seen the writing on the wall with this whistleblower testimony, and I think. That seems to be the plan. Now, I'm not saying there's been some ordered, massively, years-in-the-making disclosure thing. I just think the administration thought, Christ, it's got so hectic now, and we've got to do something. And that. So I think it answers the question, what's going to happen? I think we've seen this sort of wall of whistleblower testimony. Uh, we've got the Biden administration reacting with, with, with this whistleblower act, and you've got in the middle of being squeezed, as I keep saying, all these the non-disclosure people. And I think uh, they're the two main games in town in terms of the future. As again, I think it's funneling towards that. There could be some slip-ups, there could be some setups, but it seems inevitable that that's the direct direction we're going in. And as I say, you've got people like James Fox and other people threatening to release stuff if they, if they don't do it. So... I think 2024 could be very interesting. I mean, you don't know, do you? The question is, is the toothpaste uh, retubable? And I'm not quite sure. I don't think it is. 
don't think it is. But it, it, but you are right, Frank, to be cautious as we've talked privately. You know, we don't want to underestimate these people. I just think their options are being released, are being sort of narrowed down. Uh, and I think it's only a matter of time to he starts talking again, Grush. And uh, really very, very interesting some of the things he was saying. And I think it's on. We're only going to learn more. Yeah, indeed. Um, well, I think we'll we'll wrap it up there then. Um, it's been a pleasure. It's been uh, great to to be back chatting with you, Dave. And yeah. uh, I hope I hope folks have have enjoyed it. It's been a bit of a longer one um, on on this episode, so plenty to get stuck into for for the listeners wherever you listen from, whether you're walking your dog in your in your car on your commute to work. If so, I hope you have a have, have a good day at work, or if I hope you have a good evening if you're just listening on the way back from work. I kind of love all that stuff, you know. People saying I've had a few, I mentioned it on the show, and a lot of people messaged me saying where they listen to the pod. Um, I don't think anybody's beaten the uh, the Arctic fishing trawler um, as the most That's unusual brilliant. one just yet. But if anyone's got a more un- unconventional and unusual listening position than that, then <laughs> do let me know. Um, but, yeah, I think um, we'll leave it there for now then, Dave, until next time. Oh, that's fantastic. I've really enjoyed it, and there's so much to go through. God, we could have gone on for another two hours. But I, I hope people enjoyed it anyway and are thinking on that. And it's funny, as usual, when we talk, my thinking sort of solidified on because I think when you have to articulate things as you so often do on the show, it helps you sort of get your own thoughts, you know. So I hope people listening are good to hear the pair of us talking again and it's helped them sort of solidify where they think things are as well because uh, it'd be interesting to hear what they all about that. So, yeah, thanks a lot, Frank. I've really enjoyed it, man. Really yeah, good. pleasure. And, and yeah, as, as, as you said there, Dave, we do like listening uh, to, to other people's takes as well, whether you agree or whether you disagree. Give us a shout. We're both on Twitter. I'm on at UFO Thinker and Dave's at DSmether66. Right. Um, it'll be in the description of the episode in case anyone's wondering about spellings and stuff anyway. But it's always great to hear from people. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and until next time, we'll, we'll leave it there. So cheers, Dave. I'll catch you in the next yeah. one. Cheers, Frank. See you later, mate. You have a podcast. podcast.